0: You're listening to Thrive Beyond Size, episode 123. Welcome to Thrive Beyond Size, the podcast that's all about finding health, joy, and liberation beyond weight. If you're ready to break free from diet culture and embrace a lifestyle that celebrates your body regardless of your size, you're in the right place. Here's your host, health and wellness coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. Hey, hey friends, how are y'all doing? I am thrilled to bring you another interview today. It's been a few weeks since we've had an interview, and boy, am I excited about this one. I have Heidi Karner joining me today. She is a dietitian, and we are digging into all things Ozempic and other GLP-1 inhibitors and weight loss medications in general. Now, you may be wondering why I haven't yet done an episode on this, and my answer to that is twofold. The first is that I didn't quite know how to come on here and say what I wanted to say about these drugs. And that's partly because as a physician, I may take a different stand than what you're used to hearing from other healthcare professionals. And I wasn't sure I had the languaging right to come on here and tell you how I felt without sounding... A little bit um, preachy about it. I, I didn't want to do that. And then the second reason is that I actually struggled for a long time to decide whether or not I wanted to take Ozempic as part of my own journey. And you'll find the answer to that in this episode with Heidi. And so Heidi also has a master's degree in health promotion and a certificate of health psychology from the University of Connecticut. And she practices through an anti-diet size inclusive lens. She feels passionate about supporting her clients and nourishing their bodies without sacrificing their mental well-being or enjoyment of food through a compassionate eating framework rooted in self-care, intuitive eating. Her work with clients centers around body respect and making peace with food. And I think Heidi's deep care for her clients and the compassion that she has for them as they navigate the world of diet culture and living in a bigger body. I think all of that comes out in this interview. And I think she she speaks so eloquently and so openly about her experience with these medications, both as a diabetes educator and as a dietitian, as well as from her lens of being more anti-diet and size inclusive and really wanting to encourage people to tap in to what they really desire for themselves and making decisions from there. And so we offer all sorts of goodies in this episode, including what these drugs are, how they work, what the side effects are, questions you should ask your physicians, complications, what the science says, all of that comes up in this amazing interview with Heidi. And so if you have have any questions for Heidi or I after you hear this episode, please feel free to reach out to either one of us and we'll be happy to help you out. Contact information for both of us will be in the show notes. And just a brief reminder that we are healthcare professionals, but we are not your healthcare professionals. So if you are wanting to have a discussion about these medications and whether or not they're right for you, please talk to your own doctors. All right, without any further delay, here is the interview. All right. Hi there, Heidi. Welcome to the Thrive Beyond Size podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited to have you here because we are going to dive deep into a very hot topic today and that is the topic of weight loss medications and particularly ozempic because this is this is the buzzword of the day it seems Um, but Heidi before we dig right into the meat of this very important discussion um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I am a registered dietitian, nutritionist by trade. Um, I started my career as a diabetes educator and nutrition counselor. Um, and so that's kind of where my career took me up until about a couple of years ago, where now I'm working in a in more private practice um, space, uh, eating disorder informed, working with folks on their relationship with food, as well as supporting individuals with diabetes still. Um, so I still have a, a strong passion for working with folks with diabetes. But um, this kind of is a nice intersection between um, the anti-diet and diabetes because, you know, these drugs obviously were first designed for folks with diabetes. So this is kind of something that up my alley and it's something that I've worked with a lot of clients using these kinds of medications over the years. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of misconception about what Ozempic and other drugs like it actually is. Yeah. Um, So Heidi, can we start maybe by just informing people about what these drugs are and how they work and why they've been used for weight loss, even though they were initially developed as as diabetes medications.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, these medications—they all kind of fall under under this drug class that we call GLP-1 inhibitors. And one of the first ones that was ever kind of released or approved by the FDA was actually called Trulicity. So this one was—I remember when this first came out. I think this was like 2017 was when it was first FDA approved. Um, working in the world of diabetes, this was really exciting. I remember the this drug came out, and we were all so excited because it was only once weekly. You know, it wasn't something that you know we have to remember to take every. Day and we're seeing some really incredible shifts in blood glucose stability, you know, reduction in A1C, just improvement in quality of life um, and things like that. So, yeah, you know, I started instructing patients and folks on taking these GLP1 inhibitors um, back in about you know 2017, 2018. But back then, it was very much you know, this these drugs are, are made for diabetes, and so you know, the way they work is really intended to help control blood glucose levels. So The main mechanism of action of these GLP-1s, or uh, they're also referred to as semiglutide um, is another name for them. They essentially mimic a hormone inside the body called an incretin. So incretins bind to the pancreas. So GLP-1 is, a, is an example of uh, one of these incretins. And our body makes a lot of different types of incretins. Um, but one of them is called GLP-1. And it's made in response to eating foods. So our body makes this incretin GLP-1. And then that hormone goes into the, into the blood when your body senses that you've eaten food or are actively eating food. And then that binds to a receptor on the pancreas. So your pancreas's job, it's actually a very underrated organ. It's does like a lot of different things in the body. Um, but one of the main ones that it does is it produces something called insulin. Um And so for folks with diabetes, a lot of the times we're we're struggling with either a lack of endogenous or or our own insulin production um, or something called insulin resistance that requires the body to make more insulin. So either way, basically what this drug does is it mimics these incretins. So it's almost kind of like adding in this extra force of incretins inside the body. So you've got your own incretins and then you've got this like medication that's kind of mimicking an incretin that all these incretins is GLP-1 binding to the pancreas. and then the pancreas makes more insulin in response and insulin's job in the body is to reduce blood glucose levels so for folks with diabetes or what we would call hyperglycemia or high blood sugars these drugs can be a game changer they can be incredibly useful to folks trying to manage their glucose levels um and like i said reduce their a1c why are we talking about this in response to weight um because the way, that, uh, the way that this drug or the mechanism of action, aside from making more insulin in the body, it actually acts on four different parts of the body in order to create this. One of them I already mentioned was the pancreas, but that's not it. There's also these other things that this drug has an impact on, one of which is the hypothalamus, which is the back part of the brain. That's kind of the primal part of the brain. And that, I always say that's almost like our body's internal thermostat in a way. So it kind of regulates all different kinds of things uh, body temperature, body weight, but also has, has a uh, part in blood sugars as well as hunger and satiety or fullness. So it acts on that part of the brain to increase the satiety in the brain, making meaning kind of a, a decrease in in hunger overall. Um, It also has an impact on the stomach. So it does something called delayed gastric emptying. So it actually keeps the food or the the, uh, whatever it is that we've ate or drank in the stomach for a longer period of time. So that helps slow down digestion. And again, for people with diabetes, that can be useful because it can help kind of slow down the absorption of sugar or glucose into the blood, helping to manage glucose that way. I already mentioned the piece around the pancreas and the increase in insulin production, but it also acts on the liver too. So your liver uh, also stores extra stored up glucose or sugar, it's a fancy word for sugar. Um, and it's kind of the way that our body keeps our glucose levels nice and steady and stable throughout the day. And it also acts on the liver to help prevent the liver from spilling extra glucose into the blood. So it has a lot of different functions inside the body. And like I said, for people with diabetes it can be really, really useful and supportive, But as you can imagine, with delayed gastric emptying, so, you know, keeping food in the stomach longer, shifts and changes to the hypothalamus, um, as well as some some of these shifts and changes in blood sugar, it can basically uh, eliminate hunger cues. And so a byproduct of these medications, although this wasn't designed for this purpose originally, one of the byproducts that we saw was weight loss for some Mm -hmm. individuals, not everyone, um, but for some individuals, um, you know, kind of this almost elimination and hunger cues resulted in a change in their weight. Um, And I think that was really kind of what set off this kind of big boom, this Ozempic boom, um, because, you know, we started putting two and two together, you know, our, our weight centric healthcare system, as well as just diet culture in general, just kind of caught on to this and said, Oh, you know, we can, we can profit off of this. And, um, you know, a lot of, like I said, most people lose weight, but not everybody. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't originally designed to be used as a, as a weight, uh, management tool at all.
0: Yes. And first of all, Heidi, I have to say that was probably the best explanation of how, <laughs> okay. um, glutide or other GLP one inhibitors work that I have oh, ever good. Heard. oh you no know, um, listeners they're used to me you know doing doctor speak on here yeah and mm-hmm. i think this was probably the best explanation oh you know, okay. i think the average listener out there uh, probably learned a lot more in that past couple minutes than than listening to
1: only- all yeah. <laughs> all all my other episodes (laughs) combined. So thank you so much. No, you're welcome. I love putting things, I'm a visual learner. So I like to kind Um, of explain things in in that way to make it just more easy to understand. Because this is complex. I mean, this is a really complex, uh, especially having it act on so many different places in the body. I think just Mm -hmm. the mechanism of action of these drugs is just really confusing.
0: Well, it can be confusing. And I think what's equally confusing is just how many different systems in the body affect weight management even even just in the absence of drugs in, in the picture right And that um there's different pathways in the brain there's different hormonal systems there's enzymatic systems there's all sorts of things that contribute um to our metabolism that go so far beyond like the calories in calories out oh yeah oh my gosh paradigm um and and so i think when you combine the complexity of these anti-weight loss medications with the complexity of metabolism and weight management um, that just naturally occurs in the body that this is just so confusing for you know the average person to to navigate through to understand just just you know where where they need to go next I know I'm an emergency physician, so this is not a, a medication that I really ever prescribe. Um, I am trained in obesity medicine too, and I hate that terminology, but that's 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 what we use. Um, but you know, have 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 made the decision not to actively practice that because I think that I'm just going to end up um you know being someone who's prescribing Ozempic all day long and that doesn't sit well with me for 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 a number of reasons and one of the reasons is that like you I choose to practice in a more weight neutral anti diet you know sort sort of approach and one of the things we know for sure with um semaglutide or zempic is that once you stop taking the medication the weight tends to come back as it does with any you know most every other method of of weight loss as well and studies are even showing that even after a year of taking it even if you continue to take it the weight um still you know still still comes back on and like uh, that's that's an important thing to note because the science also tells us that weight cycling or yo-yo dieting contributes to a lot of the chronic diseases that we most more frequently associate higher higher weights with. And so, if you if you consider that, I think we actually cause harm when we're prescribed for the sole purpose of of weight loss. And so, you know, Heidi, I'm sure you have, um, as a dietitian, you know, people coming to you with questions about how Ozempic fits in to all of this. And so, um, what sort of advice do you give your clients when they're, when
1: they're making this decision for themselves? Yeah. I mean, I would say my take on this now is so different than what it was even just like two or three years ago. Um, you know, I think we don't have a ton of information. We don't have a lot of data or a lot of research. Like I said, you know, the, the first GLP one that was on the market, I think was twenty two thousand and five. 2005, that was Trulicity, but it wasn't until 2017 where like Ozempic and some of these um, kind of these kinds of drugs were rebranded to be used for intentional weight loss. So we don't even have a decade's worth of data on, you know, the use of these drugs outside of the world of diabetes. So you know, that, that right there is my first concern. And and one of the first things I'll share with my clients is like, you, you know, this informed consent piece around making sure that folks are under understanding and aware of the risk, you know, involved in taking these kinds of medications, especially if there's somebody who isn't doing so through the lens of blood glucose control or stability. Right. Um, and also having an understanding that a lot of the research that we do have on these medications is among people with diabetes. So we we really don't have a lot of data on anybody taking these drugs for just intentional weight loss. Um, so that that's the first piece is just making sure that clients know, you know, the, the research and the literature on this and that we don't have a whole ton of it. Um, the piece that you just mentioned too, around this, this kind of idea of like, temporary intervention around weight manipulation. And that, you know, there's so many reasons why an individual may feel they need to manipulate their weight in the short term. And I want to hold space for that because, you know, we can sit here and say, you know, well, it's just only short term. And, you know, what's the point in losing weight for a year or two? When, you know, a lot of individuals, actually a lot of my clients specifically in the pre-pregnancy space, you know, are told by their providers, well, if you don't lose weight, you know, you're not going to be able to get pregnant or you're not going to have a safe or healthy pregnancy. So there's also this urgency around like, well, even if it doesn't work in the long term. I just need to lose weight in the short term. So holding space for that and validating that, because that's a very real concern. And that's a very real reason why someone may feel more compelled to take, take the kinds of medication and never coming at it from a place of judgment or criticism, because like, look at the like, look for people who want to take Ozempic you know, it's like, it's, 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 I always like to say, i like to wipe the blame and the fault on the rightful owner, which isn't the individual, you know, it's the social systems, it's diet culture, it's fat phobia, it's capitalism, it's, you know, all of these things that are contributing to why we feel compelled to seek out intentional weight loss, right? Sometimes that's for health reasons, but sometimes that's for, you know, a lot of other reasons that that do hold merit. So I, I, you know, my role isn't necessarily to tell someone, you know, whether they should or shouldn't take this drug, but it's just to create a space where they can feel comfortable exploring that, you know, without judgment or criticism or without me putting in my own opinions or, or narrative into, you know, into the story, but helping them to kind of come to a place of like, is this going to support you in your journey around body acceptance? Is this going to support you in your relationship with food and healing your relationship with food Um, and things like that? So that would be my approach with my clients. Yeah,
0: and that that is so that is so beautiful, and I agree. We do need to hold space um, for women who have and men too, but you know, for people who have. Um, very personal reasons for why they might might need to lose weight in in the short term um, for sure um, but I still think this informed consent piece is important and so I'll I'll be honest people people often ask me if I'm taking ozempic because um, I live in a bigger body myself and the honest I don't I I have chosen not to in all honesty it was one of the most difficult decisions yeah. Because it's, That's on me. the one hand, um, I'm aware of the science and the lack of it um, and have, have some concerns. And so I, I actually didn't want to take this drug. But I also had all of these thoughts of, like, what if? Like, what if I just lost a little bit a little bit of weight and people saw that? Like, p- people would... Um, maybe judge me a little bit less maybe I'd have a little bit more credibility as a physician Um, like like there were lots of I felt lots of social pressure um, to consider it and it was and I I went to my family doctor who asked me he's like Michelle do you want me to put you on this or not and I said you know let me think about it I'll come back you know next time and and let you know and he was a little befuddled because he's like you know this this is it this is the answer And I'm like, but but it's not because my concern is, and you know, granted I'm pushing 50 and I have different priorities in my life. But what I knew at the time, when this first came up in discussion with, with my doctor, that what causes me the most amount of stress in my life right now, isn't my weight. It's everything that I've been doing to try to manage my weight. And I don't want to, I don't want to engage in that anymore. And so One of the biggest concerns I had was I wasn't going to take this drug forever. And so then when I stopped and got appetite back and went right back into my old unhealthy relationship with food, then how would I be any further, any further ahead, right? And so that that was my biggest, you know, concern. And then also as I'm approaching, you know, I'm in the throes of perimenopausal crap, you know, right now. And I'm a little bit concerned about bone health and other things. And, you know, one thing that the science has shown is that we know whenever we lose weight, there is a certain degree of muscle loss with that. But with Ozempic, there is a greater. Proportion of muscle loss than than with other methods of, of of weight loss, and I don't want to lose muscle mass, right? And at this at this stage in in my life, I kind of need my muscles to keep my my bones and my joints healthy. And you know, so those were some of my some of my concerns. And you know, I, I think it's important around this discussion of Ozempic of you know what you're really wanting to achieve. Because if you want to, you know, heal emotional eating or address, you know, disordered eating behaviors, or just improve your relationship with food to have some peace around all of that, then Ozempic is not going to accomplish that. Ozempic is actually going to get in the way um, of that,
1: of that actually happening. Absolutely. And I've had kind of an uptick in, I think a a lot of uh, Haze providers have had an uptick in folks seeking support post-ozempic, you know, almost like people saying, okay, well, my, I went on this drug. My doctor told me to, I didn't really like the way I felt, or let's like, let's go ahead and dive into the side effects um, of like, holy cow, are these side effects just gnarly for a lot of people. They're going back to that informed consent piece. I've had so many clients say, oh, my doctor told me, you know, maybe some mild, you know, gastrointestinal distress. No, no, no. This is like, for a lot of people, it's severe. I mean, we're talking so- Nausea, um, I will just
0: it. say, I mean, I, I don't go a day without seeing a like an Ozempic related side effect yeah. presentation yeah. in yeah. the ER. So like okay. the abdominal pain and the nausea and vomiting is enough to bring people for
1: emergency yeah. care, right? Yeah. I've noticed that a lot of people you know, it's, it's fairly severe at the beginning and then it it may dissipate, you know, over time, but it's still there. I mean, I've yet to really work with a client who said to me, oh yeah, my, I, I don't have any side effects or, you know, I'm not presenting with any Um, you know, symptoms related to this drug. Um, And and like you said, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just kind of this, this persistent nausea and vomiting, dehydration, you know, as well as, as, you know, I've seen, seen as well, like headaches and just really low energy. And, you know, and I would imagine a lot of that is a result of just restriction and not, you know, not feeling, you know, hungry or, or having any desire for food, you know, but when we think about, you know, the side effects, being able to also make sure that folks understand too, that it's like, you know a lot of people with diabetes are 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 again making this decision and saying oh you know it, can i can i try this out can i see if i can navigate some of these symptoms you know for the effects that it, the positive effect that it's having on my glucose levels or my a1c but again if we're not we're not getting the blood glucose management out of it we're enduring these incredibly distressing side effects as a result and it just kind of goes to show it's like what thinking about kind of what are we willing to do to achieve thinness, you know, like it's, it's we're so, so centered around weight loss and just this desire for a thin body and kind of to, to piggyback off what you were talking about. It's like, what do we think we're going to get from that acceptance, love, potential romantic partnerships, feeling, feeling better, be- better body image. I hear that so often from folks. I just, I desire to, you know, accept my body or have a better body image. And, uh, one of my mentors, uh, Brie Campos who body image with Brie, she, one of the things she said, she said, we can't fix our body image by trying to fix our body. Like that's just not how we do it. Um, no. And you know what? I, I gave a talk,
0: um, at an event, um, the other day and my, my whole, my whole presentation was on 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 this very thing, that you know it's it's just high time that we stop trying to change ourselves to fit into this very flawed idea that our society has of, of what physical perfection is, and that really we need to expand, <laughs> expand that to include like the perfectly imperfect majority of us. And what was most brilliant about this was um, I had to stand at a table for a while afterwards and um, people, and it was all women in the audience and women of all shapes and sizes came up to me and said, thank you so much. I feel like you were speaking directly to me. And like thinner women would come to me and say, you know, people look at me and, you know, think I have a good body, but I hate literally everything about my body. And it's like, you know, there it and this is just kind of proves that you can you can, you know, transform your body into whatever shape you want to try and force it into. And you're you're still not going to feel at home because the problem isn't your body. The part the problem is how you're relating to it. And, you know, how you're choosing to live or not live. Right,
1: right, right. Right. And, you know, a question I get a lot that you just kind of made me think of is like, I get a lot of folks coming in looking for support with, you know, some of the main things that we do here at Happy Valley is this idea of intuitive eating, body acceptance, intuitive movement, you know, a lot of these kinds of terms that have become, you know, a little bit more popular or trendy, And I'll get folks kind of coming in saying, so I really, you know, either I'm taking these drugs now and I want to continue to take them or I'm thinking of taking them, but I also want to do this. I also want to do intuitive eating or I also want to cultivate or pursue body acceptance. Can I do both? And, and the answer isn't black and white like most answers I give it's well, there are 10 principles of intuitive eating. Can we start to explore and cultivate some of those principles while being on semi-glutide? Sure can some of those principles not necessarily feel accessible because you're actually kind of have this disruption, this mechanism that's disrupting the communication between the hypothalamus and this like complex cascade of, like you said, hormones, neurotransmitters that kind of uh, make us feel hungry and satiated. You know, it's, it's something to consider, right? Cause one of the main principle or two of the main principles of intuitive eating are honor hunger and feel our fullness. So how will we navigate that? How will we cultivate that without being able to feel like we can learn the language of our body? Right. Um, so that's always something too, that I'll offer to clients kind of, especially folks who are contemplating or trying to kind of decide for themselves if this is the right choice is to say, well, what's most important to you and what's a values-based decision you know if you're taking this drug what are the what are or you want to take this drug why right like let, let's explore what values maybe you're holding that will you know that are kind of prompting this this interest or this exploration in this medication but you also seem to have some values that really want to cultivate and better understand intuitive eating and some of these other principles so just helping clients to navigate like what would be a decision that feels aligned with your values what do you value and also which ones are yours and then which ones are the values that have been indoctrinated or, yeah. embedded, you know, you know, mm-hmm. from our culture and our society. And that
0: is not always easy to tease out oh. Oh, yeah. because yeah. we are indoctrinated with these messages from the time we are born. Um, and it's really hard to te- tease all that out. So when I first start working with clients, we go through this, um, this big exercise to I- identify our vision statement, really. And we do the five whys exercise, and we kind of get down to the root. And then we also identify our values. And we look at what our big rocks in life is. And it, it's it's like, what do you really want to accomplish. If at the end of a year of working with me, um, you have achieved everything you wanted, like what, what does your life look like then? And it's like, you'd be surprised how few people actually say I'm skinnier. Right. Oh, right. 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 But, but, but the problem is there is just this very pervasive idea that, if we lose weight, then we'll have less pain, then we'll have more energy, then we'll be able to, you know, wear a bathing suit at the beach with the grandkids. And none of that is actually true. Right? Yeah,
1: right, right. And and I think, you know, you're right. And then that, you know, when you kind of hit that nail on the head, and you're like, wait, so all of these things, these things that you value and want for yourself, you know, the meaning making that we're, we're kind of making here is that we have to, it, it's only if we achieve this, This intentional weight loss, or if we shrink our bodies, make ourselves smaller, make ourselves more, you know, socially acceptable. And what are the narratives? What's the story that's being told that tells us that we have to wait for all of these things, you know, in order to, you know, in order to do that? And so, yeah, I think for a lot of people, Zempic feels like this breath of fresh air. It feels like, oh, I can finally achieve these things that i want for myself these things that will make me feel better i hear that i like that you mentioned that. i hear that a lot from people i just want to feel better you know in my body about my body and i think one of the really important pieces of that informed consent is helping folks understand that that's not necessarily going to happen as a result of taking these drugs you may actually feel physically worse (laughs) by taking these medications just from a side effect standpoint, but that if, if, weight loss does occur, again, it may not necessarily result in you feeling better about your body either. Um, you know, and, and one thing I, an exercise I like to do with folks too is like, I like to, for anybody who maybe has, um, grown into uh, a larger body throughout their life um, or for anybody who's now in a larger body who maybe used to be in a thinner or more straight sized body I always like to ask folks like so it sounds to me like back when you were in a uh, a straight or thin sized body you must have had really really great body image am I right you know and then like nine times out of ten people are like um actually no I didn't then either you know so it's like Oh, interesting. So what leads us to believe that if, you know, and, and a lot of folks will say, well, I didn't appreciate it back then, but I would appreciate it now. You know, it's like, how, is that true? You know, can we start to like poke holes in that and like pull that apart? Because is it really our body that's the problem, you know, or is it is it how, like you said, how we relate to it and how we take care of it? And um, just being able to cultivate this idea of body respect as well as body trust. You know, and I think the body trust piece is what I find is what so many people are actually really looking for, um, especially, you know. I think most of us assume that we're going to be able to trust our bodies more. If we're in a thinner one, Uh, it will feel maybe less like it betrayed us or less like it's um, unacceptable, you know Um, versus being able to say, actually, that's not how we cultivate trust in our body. It's kind of this, this give and take this relationship of us listening as well as our body listening to us through our behavior, the way that we, we take care of it. So yeah, I think that that's a key piece of this work too, of like, being able to cultivate that, and then being able to make a decision about a, a drug like semiglutide. you know, once once you feel like you trust your body to know what's best for it, um, then can we make an informed decision, you know, about whether or not this is a medication that would serve us.
0: I love that. I love that, and I think one of the challenges people come up against is they can listen to people like you and I have this discussion but we're well versed in health at every size and weight weight inclusive or weight neutral care and, and intuitive eating but the majority of healthcare providers are not right and so a lot of people are saying you know, when I have this discussion, and it's like, but my doctors are telling me that you know, me being fat is affecting my health, and that you know, this drug is what's gonna is, is what's gonna fix things, right? And so, why should listeners um, take this advice when there's all these other healthcare professionals out there um, just singing the glorious praises of Ozempic every chance that they get, and you know, telling people that this is actually what's going to um, help their health?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I would say you actually don't have to take everything that we're saying right now and buy fully in. I would actually prefer that listeners don't fully buy in just yet because, you know, one of the things that we know that's really an important stepping stone in this idea of behavior change is something called ambivalence so being on the fence about something it's actually it's super uncomfortable don't get me wrong it's incredibly it's a very distressing experience kind of having mixed emotions or feeling confused but research shows that we actually have to go through this process of being on the fence being unsure kind of feeling this this being torn type of space where that's actually how we make the most informed and cognizant decisions so Rather than saying, oh, yeah, take everything that we're saying here and run with it, I would rather this just serve as like this, this other message, you know, a kind of a, a, a choice. Because at the end of the day, you have a choice. You have body autonomy. You have agency over your body and what you do with it and how you take care of it. And so, you know, rather than listening to your doctors and saying this is the truth or rather listening to me and you and saying this is the truth, I would invite listeners to weigh both. And then to tap in and to think about their own values and their own goals and what just feels right and go with that. Um, But I, I, I like kind of offering this space just as something like, hey, this is a different take. You know, this is a different side of something where right now we're not hearing this take a whole lot. We're just seeing, you know, media outlets, doctor's appointments where it's just kind of this like miracle drug. And I'd like to offer that maybe it's not that, Um, that it can serve people in a very specific capacity for sure. It's one of the most exciting drug classes to hit the market in several decades for for sure, especially like I said, in the world of diabetes, but slow down. Let's kind of take, take a beat and say, well, what is really going to support me in the way that I want to feel and the things that I want to cultivate for myself, you know, and that's not going to come from me or you or someone's doctor or someone's you know, well-meaning family member, that decision has to come from within. So that ambivalence is a really important place to be. Um, so for any listener who feels that they're on the fence or they're experiencing that really powerful ambivalence of like, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I just invite you to just kind of sit in the information that you've learned. And like I said, call on your values and think about Um, all of the risks and the benefits and and just kind of sit with the decision because also you have time, you know. I think decreasing the urgency is one of the best things we can do for ourselves. We have so much time to decide what's what's gonna serve us and what's not. This isn't necessarily an urgent decision that we need to make today or tomorrow. You know, we can spend some time with it. Yeah.
0: I love that. And I'm I'm so glad you gave ambivalence as the answer to this because I find in our space there are some voices that that almost want to take autonomy away sure. and right yeah. and and i bring that up because some of the voices in this space ask me why i still have my weight loss podcast episodes here cuz i started as a weight loss coach right when when i started here um i started as a weight loss coach yeah. and It was funny, it was because I didn't want to do what I was teaching other people to do. And that really was confusing to me. And so I had to spend some time thinking about, you know, what is going on in my own body? And what do I want for myself? And that's when I started hearing more about health every size and and intuitive eating and all of the things. And it took me a long time to... To understand it and you know, like to embrace it personally, and then to make the choice to pivot that way in my business and, and on and on the and on the podcast. And I had a good six or seven months of ambivalence around all of this, and you can hear it in my podcast. And so I t- I tell people, you know what? It was it. It's a journey for all of us because. Um, Heidi, you and I both were trained inside diet culture, right, where we were trained given the same messages that everybody else out there understands about, you know, the pursuit of thinness and and, and other things. And so I think that journey to go through that and and decide, you know, where, where you stand in all of this is, is super important. So I've chosen to leave it all as it is, you know, so people can, can see how, how I got to this space but I still think that a lot of work needs to be done to get this message out there and and I would just you know like to encourage people to really ask questions of their physicians um, about all these things that we've talked about about you know about the side effects about um, the rebound weight gain about the muscle loss about all, all of these other things that we talked about so that you are making an informed decision and to advocate for yourself. I have seen a number of um, people in the emergency department who, you know, essentially have said that their family doctors have bullied them <laughs> in into taking yeah. taking this drug and to actually, you know, to take a stand and ask the questions and to remember that there's a good chance that your doctor is, is still very much ingrained in the whole, um, weight centered, um, must lose weight to be healthy sort of paradigm. And they just don't know how to have this type of conversation with you.
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah. And you think about it, I mean, think about how long, you know, the, the traditional message was just, you know, eat less, move more calories in versus calories out, you know, that again, that was kind of how we were trained, and then I would imagine, you know, as a, as a physician or a healthcare provider, who's in a prescribing, you know, kind of uh, vocation to then have this almost like answer in a way where you're so tired of telling people just eat less and move more. And that people, you know, as we know, and I think most clinicians at this point know that, you know, that, that type of approach doesn't tend to work for most people, especially in the long run. So to almost have this other thing, this other option to be like, okay, pivot, let's go here. It, I, I get how exciting it is. You know, I get how exciting it can be, especially, you know, as a healthcare professional, who's just seeing patient after patient after patient who are all coming saying, I'm worried about my weight. My, you know, my parents want me to lose weight. My partner wants me to lose weight. I'm worried about it. I'm stressed about it. And as a doctor to say, well, uh, okay, let's fix it. You know, like here, here, here's a medication. This is how I can support you. So I I totally understand um that piece but also to your point you know from a from a patient's lens of like but but you also have a right to say well i appreciate that recommendation or that idea but I'm interested in maybe something else that wouldn't necessarily take on as many risks or maybe wouldn't have as many side effects or um, something that maybe has more research um, is better well, uh, better understood. So you have the right to say that. Um, and that's not argumentative. I think I have some clients say to me, I don't want to be that patient, you know, I don't want to be the person who's like an issue or, you know, is, is, Uh, needy or, you know, some of these things that, that as, you know, as we kind of venture through our healthcare system, sometimes we just want to be that like easy patient, just, okay, sounds good. You know, we just kind of want to go, go along with the flow. And, you know, and I think in this kind of scenario, it's really important that we take a beat and say, okay, but this, is this actually really what I want? Do I know enough about this? Does my doctor know enough about this? Um, to your point about just asking more questions and knowing that you reserve the right to do that and that that doesn't make you a difficult patient. You know, it just makes you an informed one.
0: No, and people have to remember that us physicians, we work for our patients, not the other not the other way around right and and the that that relationship between doctor and patient is supposed to be built upon informed consent and shared decision making right and so it's my job as a doctor to give you all of the information and the pros and cons of you know yes or no to this medication and then together we get to decide you know is this is this the right thing for you and right and so you are absolutely allowed to ask questions and ask for more information and ask for data and to have some time to think about it if you need um and you even have the right to say no if it's not a good fit for
1: you right for sure absolutely yeah no i you know i think that, like i said this is a really complex thing. And so I think it's important that listeners know that there isn't an innately uh, a right or wrong here, you know, that this is, again, this is a very deeply personal decision. This is a really tough decision. There's a lot, this isn't a decision that's being made in a vacuum here, right? You know, we've got so many factors that are impacting our decision making. So, um, But just
0: know, I just want to say again, like it took me six weeks of literally losing sleep over this decision and like numerous conversations with my husband and, you know, trying, trying to figure out because I get it, like the, the, the pull to engage in this, you know, what, what really feels like this miracle solution, um, you know, but, but also knowing what I really want for for my own life, like there was no denying how difficult um that was, and I have the knowledge oh right, right, <laughs> right. and and I have the knowledge, and it was still super difficult for me um for me to make that decision. And I don't look back now like i don't I don't question that. and I feel I feel comfortable in my decision now, but it was not um an easy one,
1: not an easy one to make. Right. Yeah. Especially and- when you have like some of these weight loss industries, like I, I saw an article recently, Weight Watchers just came out with this thing being like, Oh, you know, they're pivoting. They're like, we got it wrong. You know, dieting doesn't work. This is the way now. Um, so you've got all this mixed messaging where like, now you've got this consensus that diet culture is bad and that, you know, diets don't work. And you've even got some of these diet industry corporations coming in agreeing with that. So it's really confusing. It's like, wait, Is this a diet? Is this not? Is this you know? Is this in the anti-diet space? You know, people are saying this isn't a diet, but seems kind of like a diet. And you know, there's just it's it's really really difficult to navigate. Well, it's you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because
0: you're right. I mean, we are seeing anti-diet everywhere now, but it's still diet. And and even I get hopeful. So I got like looped into a Facebook ad the other day um, and signed up for somebody's you know webinar. Truly really thinking like that this looks like this might actually be someone who's who's getting it right here. And and like the Facebook ad started with diets don't work and all of this. And then I go into and their whole program is based on extreme restriction. Um and and <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's but it's not funny. a diet, you see. <laughs> oh, right, right, it's, right. Right. Not a diet. right. And Weight Watchers is doing the same thing. Um Beachbody recently, you know, decided that they're weight neutral and yet still right. Noom, um,
1: Noom is in a diet. Either. Right. Yeah.
0: right? Yeah. All all of these things are still putting all of these food rules into place that are meant um to shrink your body. And so you're right, it is so very confusing. Um, but all of these if it comes from weight loss industry, there is a money motivation behind all of it, um, regardless of, of the language that, that, that they're choosing. Um, and I like, it. it's really, it's really damaging. I think when you see these anti-diet programs out there that are really, truly just putting you on another diet and right. calling it lifestyle or calling it right. mindset work or, or whatever it is, but yeah. it's still... Yeah. Um, and, and it's it's rather manipulative, even though I know that the people behind all of these programs, well, maybe not the Weight Watchers and the, you know, the nooms, not not the big ones, maybe. But, you know, I, I think people are maybe themselves in that place of ambivalence where they're starting to understand that, um, you know, this the way that we've been doing things isn't really working, but not quite ready to let go of this idea that people still have to lose weight. 100 oh, yeah. yeah
1: yeah and th- then kind of disseminating that packaging it and saying oh this is the way to to go about doing it I mean I've seen all kinds of things like mindful eating for weight loss or intuitive eating for weight loss which is just an oxymoron you can't you can't have intuitive eating for weight loss but yeah you're right I mean it's it's folks who are kind of learning about and cultivating some of these principles before they fully understand what it means to be hazel lined or to really practice through this weight inclusive lens. So yeah, I I would just encourage listeners to um, be really critical of the content that you're consuming and make sure that, you know, it's, again, it's values aligned, you know, if, if anything is kind of promising you, I'll just say it, if anything promises you weight loss, that's an immediate red flag, right? Because we don't know. We don't know how your body is going to uh, shift or change or, or not change as a result of some of these kind of manipulations and what we eat and how we move. So, um, and I just want to say, like one more thing that I'm seeing in the medical
0: world is doctors are also now hearing this message that diets don't work, and are we're seeing an increase in people referred for bariatric surgery because now that's now that's going to be the only solution. Right. And, and and so it's um, I think it's challenging waters to navigate the way we stand currently culturally and even just like how the sciences is, is starting to evolve around all of this, that it's going to be a little bit of a confusing time. Um, for, for people to navigate as well. But I think your advice of really just tuning in um, and collecting the information and tuning in and, and connecting with your values and what you really want for your life and making the decision that's, that's best for you is, is the answer here.
1: Yeah. And, and I'll also just like lastly throw out too, that there is hope when it comes to our health. Um, I have to say that because I think, you know, when we have these conversations around, talking about this idea of intentional weight loss, whether it's, you know, food restriction, excessive exercise, or, you know, these other kinds of medical interventions, whether it be medication or bariatric surgery, there's like this hopelessness that can kind of fall over us of like, well, so you're telling me that I can never be healthy then, right? Because, you know, we kind of have this really intertwined understanding of weight and health. So when it comes to what it means to provide healthcare through a haze lens, it we can still promote health. We can still talk about your health. We can still focus on your diabetes, your cholesterol, your heart health, um, all of these things, right? Independent of the size or shape of your body. So that's what it means to be a a line provider. And so for any listeners who are like, oh my gosh, well, you know, if I can't focus my weight, then, you know, can I is there any? is there nothing I can do to support my health? There's so many things you can do to support your health that may or may not have an impact on your weight, right? I always say that to my clients, like, sure, I mean, we could start cultivating some of these more positive relationships with food and movement and, you know, managing stress and getting better sleep. And some of these things may result in the size of your body changing and it may not, but independent of that change we're supporting your health through those actionable yes, behaviors right and so here's
0: here's how I sometimes will explain it to colleagues because i yammer on about this all the time at work so they 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 hear me and so this was you know a, a few months ago and a colleague came up to me and and you know said that you know it was a woman that was in with back pain and she lived in a bigger body and he's like i mean the advice that i have to give her is to lose weight. Right. And so I said to him, um, how often do you see like people in smaller bodies with back pain in this department? And he's like, well, most of them actually, I'm like, what, what do you advise them to do for their back pain? And he just looked at me with this stunned look on his face, because like, it didn't like that, that, that didn't even um, occur to him, right? And so that's, that's often something I will counsel people to ask their doctors if they're giving weight loss as the answer. It's like if somebody in a smaller body came to you with the same complaint, what would you advise them to do? Because most of those things you can go and do in most bodies.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I think That's a great I mean, it's a great tool too, to help folks navigate some of the weight stigma that they may experience in healthcare, right? Of like, in that moment where maybe your doctor says that, and then you can just kind of freeze and you're like, you know, there's that, I call it the shame wave will like come over and then like, I should just get me out of here to be able to come back and say, okay, well, well thank you for that. You know, I appreciate, you know, that, that suggestion. But yeah, I'm interested to hear what you might, you know, offer someone in a straight sized body, you know, and, and how that can just be a really powerful way to respectfully request a more weight inclusive approach, you know, with your provider.
0: All right, uh, Heidi, thank you so much. I think we covered so much great stuff in this discussion together today. Are there any final words that you want to leave for listeners?
1: Well so there's a quote um that I really like and I like to share it with all my clients when I first start working um with them. I actually don't know who said it so I wish I did. It's just an anonymous uh quote but I like to 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 share it anytime we're talking about this idea of bodies or intentional weight loss or just feeling frustrated or dissatisfied, um, in our body. So, you know, the world tells us that our bodies are our life's masterpiece, you know, that it's our job to make them look perfect and make them work perfectly. And that our bodies are really kind of the culmination of our life's work. When in reality, our life, our bodies are just the paintbrush. Our bodies are just the paintbrush that allow us to paint the masterpiece that is our life. So it doesn't really matter what the paintbrush looks like as long as it can paint. Um, and that, you know, really trying to, I would encourage any listeners who really are kind of open and want to cultivate or explore this idea of body acceptance to shift the focus inward. You know, what does it feel like to be in your body rather than focusing all the time on, you know, how you feel about your body, because that that about is going to subjective, it's going to shift and change depending on the weather, the day, the season, the mood you're in, versus how you feel in your body is something that I feel that we have a little bit more agency over, you know, in terms of self care, and some of these actionable health promoting behaviors. So um, I think that can be a powerful shift, if we can kind of start to remind ourselves to focus on all these, um, this miracle that's happening on the inside, um, even if we're feeling dissatisfied with the outside, you know, and the size and shape of our body.
0: Oh my god i love i loved that can i just say when you were talking about our bodies being the masterpiece i like my heart sunk down oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I> felt, <laughs> like, no no <laughs> and when you, you and then when you talked about the pain that felt so much more empowering um and so like that is just how powerful that little mindset yeah. shift can, yeah. can actually be like just yeah. like think about how horrible it feels for your body shape or size to be the measure of your value in the world. And it Uh. doesn't matter what body you're in. That's not going to feel good
1: yeah, yeah, and the people in your life who love and care about you know that about you, right. They of don't care or value you because of your body size. and and we know that, but I think yeah. to be able to remind ourselves of that too, that your body is in fact the least interesting thing about you. Absolutely
0: the least um, interesting thing. you
1: know and th- yep. that's not to say, you know I, I will automatically just acknowledge my thin privilege here and say that's easy for me to say, right? You know, I don't necessarily have to navigate some of the really challenging and distressing aspects of navigating the world in a larger body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's easy to say it's the least interesting thing about you when you're inhabiting a straight-sized body, but even for folks in larger bodies, you know even though the world doesn't necessarily always agree, it's still the least interesting thing about you. so <laughs> <laughs>
0: i I agree wholeheartedly all right thank you so much Heidi thank you.
1: you spoke thank you. so
0: eloquently about all of this I imagine people may want to learn more about you so Heidi where, where do you hang out on social and how yeah yeah you yeah
1: yeah so my uh, professional Instagram account if you want to follow me I post all you know just different things about body acceptance intuitive eating um, you can find me at being human with Heidi. Um at Being Human with Heidi. Um, you can also follow the, the practice that I work for here at Happy Valley Nutrition. Uh, so we also have a social media account as well. Um, and then for anybody who just wants to, to set up an appointment with me or would want to work with me, again, you can uh search us on internet there and find our website, Happy Valley Nutrition, and just you know, submit. Uh, we have a little form there. We can just put your name and email um, and phone number, and then you know, we can chat if you feel like you'd like to work together.
0: Sounds amazing. Thank you so much, honey. Thank
1: you.